Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Getting It Out podcast. That was Holy Death Trio from Austin, Texas. The song was called Death Rider. The band has previously released a full length on Ripple Music called Introducing, but that was back in 2021. I do believe they're going out on their own, but I could be wrong. These guys were famously pointed out by Ozzy bassist Blasco, and he wanted to release them. He liked what he heard, and I do too. Death Rider is a great first single for whatever record it's going to end up on, but I thought it was a fitting place to put them as the introduction music for this episode with Phil Caivano of Monster Magnet. Maybe you agree, maybe you don't. Maybe I care, I definitely don't. But as I mentioned, this episode does include an excellent interview, if I do say so myself, a great conversation with the great Phil Caivano of Monster Magnet. We're talking about Monster Magnet. We're talking about 80s hardcore. We're talking about 70s punk. And we're talking about his new solo project, Caivano. But first, we're going over to New Jersey. But it's time to make a stop in the hottest zone there is. Check it! Yeah. 
I apologize for the delay of getting this episode out that you didn't know existed. You didn't know there was a delay in getting this episode out. But instead of releasing this episode yesterday, I spent it cleaning up vomit in several different rooms. And that's just something you got to do sometimes. You know, if it happens, you got to take care of it. And it was uh, certainly happening here in my household for one solid day. Took it on the road too. put it in front of a school put it uh, nearly in a target, but mostly in the house. And uh, it's all clean as a whistle now. So don't you worry about that. And I got to get back to tending and watching and making sure it doesn't happen again. So I'm going to keep this intro short. This is an awesome conversation with Phil Caivano of Monster Magnet. And I am happy to share it here with you. As you're about to hear, Phil has his fingerprints on all sorts of excellent underground music and even some that went mainstream. But he also just released a brand new self-titled full length. It's called Kaivano. It's named after himself. You figured that out by now, right? It's excellent. It's self-released. It's all him. It sounds great. And I'm going to show that to you. I'm going to prove it to you. How about that? That's a better way to say it. I'm going to prove it to you right now with track number two off of Kaivano by Kaivano. It's called Heroes. Check it out. And then my conversation with the great Phil Kaivano.
product of like the late 60s and 70s, you know, and uh, I've just been a music fan since day one. You know, like I just, ever since I heard Paint It Black by the Stones, I wanted to paint everything black, <laughs> you know, and like satisfy. You know, I just grew up, uh, you know, in the 60s and early 70s. And, uh, you know, I talk about that a lot because culturally a lot of things that were going on in the world and uh music in general like if you go from 65 to 75 mm-hmm. which was kind of like my origins of the beginning of like being a fan that was some of the best music that was ever made in the history of rock and roll as far as i'm concerned with all of it like is that the era that they sometimes call the come down i don't know I just know it was my. Uh, my <laughs> well, I, I asked, I asked that specific because there's there's a record label, uh, Riding Easy Records that puts out these brown acid compilations that I believe are supposed to date from like '69 to '79, something like that. But it's like heavy rock from the come down. It's like un undiscovered shit from back then. I love it. I've got tons, yeah, of, I it. tons of that. So all the garage rock stuff. It was like the yeah. best thing like, uh, that happened with like the British invasion was that like people started bands mm-hmm. so with all these great garage rock bands that people like these compilations were so great about all these different compilations i have this compilation out of texas you know i knew of some stuff from texas but the amount of garage rock that came out of texas and little pockets of our country yeah nobody's ever even heard of like i was familiar uh, growing up with the compilation nuggets and that was that made me search and the guys I was hanging out with search for more things like that. But then um, it was like when you get into the later 60s, so many great things were going on and, and sound started changing. We started hearing more fuzz and more all this great stuff was happening. And then you get to that late 60s, early 70s with the British stuff, you know, a la Black Sabbath, a la you know, all the, the Zeppelin, Sabbath, Deep Purple, but we had Grand Funk Railroad, the MC5, you know, the Stooges, you know, and like one of my favorite bands of all time is the Velvet Underground. So we just had all this music going on and I grew up with all that kind of stuff. So of course I wanted to play, you know, and in my teen years, I meet this guy named Dave Windorf and uh, we started palling around. We had a lot of the same friends and before you know it, we were playing in a band together and uh, it was a bunch of kids, you know, and, and, and like we had all these different bands that were around here in Red Bank. Uh, it kind of like the dudes from the di- different bands got together into one band and that became the band that Dave and I ended up in. And uh, Dave, myself, a guy named Daniel Ray, who went on to produce the Ramones and all kinds of stuff like that. That mm-hmm. was a teenage band. And we started hanging out and then like. You know, being into like the bigger bands and being a fan of reading and Cream Magazine and Circus and all that stuff and rock scene was a really big influence on me. That was a magazine out of New York, just reading all that stuff. Then all these things like around 75, I saw uh, I saw Lou Reed and Patti Smith and like all this stuff. So things started to bubble in my life and change that made me think I was around the time I started playing with Dave that like I didn't have to be on a giant stage somewhere i could go to a place and play and then the whole new york thing happened that the band dave and i was in called shrapnel we were playing around a lot you know you're at a you're at a place and like you're playing pinball you're a teenage kid and the guy who puts the quarter you know like 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 the the change on the machine and back i got next 
like that's Didi Ramon and Stiff yeah. from Dead Boys and the guys from The Cramps and like Alan Vega from Suicide. And you're like a kid, a fan of this stuff and made everything very accessible. So that's kind of like my origin, right? Like everything was very, very accessible. And I love music and I started playing and I went from one thing to the other. And then, uh, you know, the shrapnel thing lasted as long as um, it did. And, you know, we were actually like my good friend, Michael Alago, who, who who's uh, very well known in the industry. We were one of his we were his first major label signing and we were all friends. You know, it was like a lot of friendships and things. And, you know, and then like this this band that you might have heard of called Motorhead came to New York to play <laughs> first time and like in several like, box sets right here yes yeah. of course I, know. I, I was aware of hawkwind i grew up a big hawkwind fan and i just can't say enough of that time of my life you know and, and um the stooges i mean i remember going to cbgb's having to see um i had seen iggy but i never saw ron ashton play a guitar i just heard it and he came to new york with a band called destroy all monsters and i was like i need to see ron ashton play guitar and i'm in the front row like that's just how it was but so that band shrapnel got me like more involved at that street level and getting to play these legendary clubs that at the time i don't you know because i was so young at the time i didn't realize it was legendary places we were playing that was going right. to go on like max's kansas city the list of people that have played there is insane forget about cbgb's you know but then then you had the palladium right up the street and right here in new jersey we had asbury park we had convention hall we had the fast lane we had uh the capitol theater in passaic new jersey then running down to philly so at this little pocket in jersey being so close to new york and philly we had a lot of bands come through to play like not just asbury but trenton trenton new jersey during the whole city gardens thing the dirt sure. club yeah. you know up up uh, in bloomfield there were so many great things to see so you know i ended up moving to new york and after the shrapnel thing uh, uh fizzled out i got involved and you know i just always stayed around music and i played in that band lit spear for a while like my friends and they wanted to start a band you know so we always around like the beginning of starting bands you know and then that whole scene happened uh, that was another time like people thought like new york was dead at the time because punk rock may have ended but the things that came out of that but you mentioned the hardcore stuff sure. you know seeing you know the original lineups of agnostic front kraut reagan youth Cro-Mag, mm -hmm. uh, Murphy's Law, which I ended up playing in after, yeah. afterwards. Like all these things started like happening. Then you throw in like the Sonic Youth, the Lydia Lunch, Teenage, you know, all these other things that have the early, early white zombie stuff. Then you had, then you had like, I always call it like the dirt rock scene that my band was involved with, with Circus of Power, The Cycle, Sluts, Warrior Soul. You just had all these bands any day of the week. Then you had the Unsane, Cop Shoot Cop. I'm probably leaving out a lot of bands. And then, um, you know, Quicksand. You had all this music that was going on uh, right in my backyard so any night yeah. of the week i could go you know what out. i like about all that that you mentioned there is that like you mentioned several different sounds too yeah like there, there's a whole there's a shitload of different uh bands you mentioned there but 
not all of them sound the same. I know you, you kind of went in little sections. Of, this is the hardcore stuff. This is the punk stuff. This is the noise rock. This is the, you know, and, and I mean, that's the way that I love music and love listening to music. And that's again, like I was talking about earlier, that's what I do with this because that's the way I want it to be. Right. But it's, but it, to me, it's very cool that you got to come up like that. And I, I, assume i'd have to assume that not a lot of people had an option like that you by your location your geographic location was a huge benefit to all that correct yeah yeah, totally and then like and then you throw in this other stuff that was going on a bigger scale a lot of the the bands of the time like say sabbath and zeppelin and deep purple as they were like fading out and we know the history of that stuff mm-hmm. there's a band like death leopard to start yeah. <laughs> then you have acdc and then you have like all this other shit like you know you know i remember like you know being an acdc fan and then like you know you're you're in your car and you know shook me all night long you know like mm-hmm. then photograph and like i'm just a fan of it all you know what i mean so there's so many like that time frame in in like the late like the 80s into the 90s was really magical music i don't think there's enough credit given to that time frame when things started dying out and other things started bubbling up and and in my world a lot of it came out of like for a lack of better terms was like uh the punk rock stuff but then sure. you all, then you throw in what was going on in detroit and then you throw in Seattle, then you throw in Minneapolis, then you throw in Chicago, like other labels like Touch and Go, and then you had Sub Pop. And I was fortunate at one time to work um, uh, in the warehouse at Caroline Records in like, it's a candy store. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I have- Bad even- Brains era Caroline Records? <laughs> well- Yes, but I yeah. but but I remember the Bad Brains the first time they came to New York. Sure, was there, you know, like the in the shrapnel era, but like Caroline was 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 into distribution before they were an actual label. So a bunch of us dudes, and you know, my friend, uh, one of my friends got me a job there, and uh, I actually worked in the warehouse at the same time as Rick from Degeneration, and so we were just like going through the bins, and he's like, "Did you hear this yet? Or did you hear that yet?" And I'd be like, "I heard this one. Did you hear that one?" And it was just like <laughs> a lot of swapping, and I miss record trading, I miss tape trading, I miss making, you know, compilation tapes, both. So. You know, back to my stuff, you know, I was around a lot of things and, you know, and I really did love um, and still do. I love that first wave of hardcore that you mentioned, which led me, you know, after, you know, one thing led to another and I was around a lot and everybody was friends. It was like really common. Again, a lot of my life was revolved around a pinball machine when I when I was in New York a lot. It was like, you know, be playing pinball, the King Tut's Wawa Hut where the bass player from my band was a bartender. I'm with Scotty the other guitar player and we're hanging out with Harley and he's, you, you know what I mean? And like, right. and I was familiar with Harley because I saw the stimulators a bunch of times, like, you know, just so many little intertwining things in my life that, that were going on. And Vinny stigma, you know, I remember seeing Vinny in, in the early AF days was like, I remember seeing him around. Like I remember when I saw agnostic front the first time I was like, forget about how badass Roger was and how, how, how he looked. But I remember Vinny's face from being at shows. Yeah. And here's this guy's on stage. We end up being friends. And, you know, and then Jimmy from Murphy's and Todd and everybody. It was just like kind of like a really, really great time in my life. And then uh, when things ended up 
uh, you know, I, I, I moved to LA and uh, I was like, okay, maybe this, this band thing isn't working out. And I've always been a behind the scenes guy. I love studios. I've always paid attention and I love recording. And I ended up uh, working uh, for Matt Hyde, who went on to produce. And, and Windorf and I always staying friends. Mm -hmm. I was around a lot of the uh, uh, Monster Magnet stuff in the studio and had a lot of the early shows. At the, another great place we had in Jersey was the Court Tavern. And the Court Tavern, Maxwell's, like all these great, the Brighton Bar. Um, I mentioned the Fast Lane and Asbury. We were kind of like, all of us guys were kind of like not really into the big Jersey thing. We had a great underground that no one was, we were paying attention to it. And finally it caught up and, you know, uh, they, my monster magnet got good at first was Caroline. And then it was, well, there was, you know, the European stuff with glitter house, but then it was Caroline. And then, you know, Dave got the major record label record deal, but I was living in LA when he was making power trip with the guys and we were around a lot, we were, we were with each other a lot. And he was like, you know, Hey man, uh, I like, you know, put it out there. Like, do you want to come back to red bank and play guitar in the band? And I was like, wow. I was like, I never really expected that, you know? And, and before that he asked me to play, uh, he wanted to set a guitar on fire. And so he asked me to come up and play kick out the jams, which is, Come on! How could you not want to get right, yeah, yeah. on stage? With, with, how could you not want to get on your on stage with you know one of your oldest friends while he lights a guitar on fire and play "Kick Out the Jams"? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'd be an idiot if I didn't want to do that. Just, you know? You'd be an asshole if you refuse that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's lighting a guitar on fire. Like, but come on. So, so one thing led to another, and I moved back to Jersey and I joined Magnet, and it kind of like a. That's been a hell of a ride since then. But I think all of my other stuff leading up to that, um, there were other things, you know, like uh, well, at one time when, when when we were not touring, Matt Hyde, um, Matt and I stayed stayed good friends. And, and uh, uh, after working with him in L.A. for a while, uh, he was coming back east and he was going into a studio with a little band from Connecticut called Hatebreed. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> He asked me if I wanted to come up and work on the record with him, uh, uh, which was Perseverance, which ended up being a classic, classic record of its time. So I've been very fortunate to be around really good people and uh, timing. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, Matt. And then, you know, uh, at the time I met Matt, I also met Joe Barisi. And, and, you know, Joe was coming in to engineer some sessions. So I became friends with these dudes. And the other guy I became friends with through the Hapri camp was Chris Harris, who we call Zeus. And, you know, as a, you know, and Zeus ends up using me for another record for some guitar stuff. And, you know, that's how it all kind of. It's when you kinda, when you say guitar stuff, what do you mean? Um, I was doing a lot of studio tech stuff in LA. So I was, uh, doing a lot of setups and a lot of like, uh, I was hired to go in to, um, be an assistant producer and, and, but my main forte was guitars and amplifiers when guys would talk about, uh, certain sounds, what they were doing and, and, you know, um, uh, 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 certain sounds, certain guitars, uh, microphone setups, um, how to capture what, you know, I never 
I never looked at it as like um, I knew all that much. My thing was like, say, a guy who I I love is Sean Martin from Hatebreed. When when Matt brought me in to work with Hatebreed, I brought all this stuff up with me, all these amps and guitars to use for Sean. And I just looked at this guy and was like, it's him. It's not the guitars. <laughs> it's not the amps. We got to capture yeah. that guy. Right. Like him. Same with Chris. A burly motherfucker. That's like, same, same with Beatty. You know what I mean? And yeah. so so that's what I was doing. And I was kind of like a, a, almost a li- liaison between the guitar player and bass player. Same with the producer. Like, again, I'll never take away the producers I've worked with are fantastic. Matt, Zeus, Joe, everybody. Those are the guys. But I was kind of like because of growing up a guitar player and bass player, really being in the studio and being a player, I was able to kind of like help the dudes be a little more comfortable, you know, cause it can, your first couple times in a studio can be really intimidating, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and so I felt like it was, uh, I felt like I was there to help channel some stuff to the producer and get the setup going, get it to sound like the guy wanted it to sound, not how I wanted it to sound and have that person who's uh, playing um, connect with the guitar player or bass player connect with the producer. And I was there to help make that happen. And from then I, when I got really, you know, I'm into production I'm into all that kind of stuff. And again, I've been fortunate to be around a lot of really cool people, a lot of great, a lot of great talent, you know? Yeah. Your name is tied to a lot of cool things. You, you mentioned a lot of them there, but there's, there's even more. Um, And I, I found that very interesting. I, I knew you from Monster Magnet, right? And which I think that you, you kind of mentioned that story really starts uh, way back with Shrapnel, which I'm only aware of Shrapnel by, I think it's just word of mouth. You know, like recently Eugene Robinson from Oxbow wrote something in Decibel about seeing Shrapnel way back in the way back in the day. You know what I mean? But like, I don't, I don't, is there like recorded music of shrapnel? Is that accessible yeah. stuff? Because I don't know where to find it. Well, well, the funny thing is with that. So we did two 45s on our own, you know, in those days, uh, you know, it kind of was an extension of the garage rock stuff in my book that like we did a couple of 45s on our own. And um, with the help of a guy named Arturo Vega, you know, mm-hmm. Arturo yeah. is, you know, if you know who he is, like Arturo and yeah. Joe really liked us a lot. <laughs> And so they helped us get into the studio and we did our own thing. And, you know, and that, that, those two, those two 45s are very hard to find, but there was a lot of other songs recorded at that session. And then there was the uh, EP that we did with Electra that, that Michael, that Michael Alago was involved with. And then, um, those are the only things that were recorded. I know there's some live things out there somewhere. I don't have much of that stuff, but, um, that shrapnel stuff that the the you know again you know i can't speak enough about like uh my inf- how i got influenced at that time like you know being a teenage kid and going to see johnny thunders as much as i could uh to mm-hmm. play heartbreakers and i think that like i've been able to bring a lot a lot of that into everything else i've done and what i continue to do you know yeah. with, with other bands you've mentioned that uh that i've worked with and that i've uh i really don't much considerate work other than than i i've again i've been in the right place at the right time around some really good people like 
wrote a song with Susie Gardner from L7 that ended up being on one of their records. Now, that was just me and Susie getting together, playing guitars together. She took right. it from there. You know what I mean? And like, <laughs> like you know, those, they're my good friends. You know what I mean? I, I love Susie and Jennifer and Danita and Dee. You know, every time they... I'm excited they're going to come back east, but I have some really, you know, long friendships with people, including Mr. Windorf. You know, I can't talk enough about, you know, um, Dave giving me the opportunity to play guitar in Magnet. I mean, Magnet was well established before I came into it, you know, and uh, uh, I was they, like. Monster, sorry, I'm sorry, I apologize for cutting you off, but Monster yeah. Magnet was well established then. That was right after Dopes to Infinity, right? That you come along. Yes. But had yet to have a giant hit, which they did with Power Trip when you joined the band. Right. So I so that made me want to ask you, was there when you going into that record, was there an intention for there to be like what was this like because you know that record's kind of known as a slight shift in sound for Monster Magnet, a little more radio friendly. Was mm -hmm. that the was that the, the goal with that record? You know, it, it's funny because with that record, I was kind of an outsider looking in. I happened to be at the studio a lot with Dave, and I and that was that was the beginning of of me being friends with Matt. And uh, I was friends with Matt's wife before that. I was working in a coffee shop and and Power Trip. You know, Dave's out you know uh, out in L.A. recording Power Trip, and I'm bringing guitar pedals by and a guitar here and there. And Matt was like, "What do you fucking do?" Like. <laughs> who are you? You're friends with my wife and you work in a coffee shop. And I'm like, man, ah, Dave and I grew up together. You know, he hit me up and, you know, he was looking for uh, a certain fuzz pedal. I got it, you know? And so <laughs> in that respect, I don't know uh, what Dave's mindset was going into that other than having worked with Dave for so many years. Mm -hmm. Now he writes with where he's at. Like, you know, to mm -hmm. me, um, dopes, the writing was on the wall with Negasonic that was being sure. played yeah. a lot. That was such a great record. And, um, you know, uh, and knowing the history of power trip, the song space Lord was like something that he wrote. Well, like we need one more song, mm -hmm. you know, and he, you know, I know that that's how that came up with him. And, um, it's, it's really interesting watching Dave work and how he goes about it. Um, even the last bunch of records we've, we've done together, it's wherever we're at at the time, that's what we're going to do. So I don't know how much went into that, you know, um, thought process of like, I do know that he has talked to me that, you know, hey, I've done all this psychedelic shit. I want to rock. You know, I want to yeah, do, yeah. I want to rock. You know, I want to put on, you know, I'm sure you've read the interviews and I may have talked to him and interviewed him as well. But he was like, hey, you know what? I want to rock. And, and <laughs> he's so got every right. Yeah. Yeah, and so then that's when he was like, you know, when he asked me to join, I was like, I don't know, you're a great band. Like, what do you need me for? You know, I mean, I'm cool, like working in L.A. Uh, my career is going along with the way I like it, and you know, do I want to live back in Jersey? I don't know, and you know, and I, but I was like, I remember getting on the plane. I had to go back. Uh, I was here, and I had to go back to L.A. for something, and uh, I remember just getting on that seat in that plane. I was like, I'm going back to Jersey. I just got to figure out how I'm going to do it. Because I had some obligations. I had I was working with Matt and I was working with a couple other people. And I just had to like wind it down and get back east and dust off my guitars and show up at the rehearsal place and go on tour. It was happened very, very, very quickly for me. And so 
to be the guy that he brought in to support that record and go on tour with that record was a really, really a great experience for me. Well, that that must have been quite a, an acceleration because, I mean, Monster Magnet was all over the place. That's I don't remember. Was that a summer song? I, like, I remember it being on the radio. You know what I mean? I, rem- I remember I remember the whole thing. I remember the music video, all that. So you went from being a fucking coffee guy to what? To, to, to be in this, yeah, in this giant band. I had never been on a tour bus in my life, and I was almost... <laughs> was it straight to tour bus? Yeah. Yeah, no van? No van I, for you, just straight to the... I city. had been in vans my whole... I had been in vans and station wagons and pickup truck trucks my whole musical career, taxis and everything other than, <laughs> the, you know. And I remember the first time when uh, uh, we got on the tour bus, I was like, wow, this is cool. You know, like I actually mm-hmm. can lay out and sleep somewhere and pull a curtain shut and put my head on a pillow. You know, I never had that experience. I was almost 40 at that time. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, just the experience of alone and, you know, and I've never, uh, I've always kind of stayed away from uh, the label side of things, you know, so it was more like, you know, getting out there, uh, playing and we're opening, we, we opened up some great shows. I mean, you know, at one point on the power trip tour, we're playing with Aerosmith and, you know, it was just like, just the list goes on and on and on with that, that initial year. You're right. That song, that's just one of those songs, right? It's he yeah. wrote a great song. And the song Power Trip, what's not to like about a lyric? I'm never going to work another day in my life. And then you dig into some (laughs) of the deeper cuts on that record. It's phenomenal. Baby Got a Damarong and like all these other songs that he wrote. He's just a phenomenal, phenomenal writer, you know, and that's something that I've always respected and appreciated about Dave. I stole that CD from my gym teacher. Um, I, (laughs) I don't I don't remember how I got into his house. I didn't break in, but I was in his house by myself and I took that CD from his CD collection. I felt like he didn't, he didn't need to have it. That was, that was too cool for him. So I swiped it from him and I've had it ever since. (laughs) And just as you're talking about it, it made me, it reminded me of that. I forgot all about that, but it's, it's, that's so cool. And you, you then stayed with, uh, with power trip for, or I'm sorry, uh, monster magnet for quite a while. You, you, you were out for a little bit, but then back in and I could talk to you forever about the things you've done before and your time in Monster Magnet, but I want to skip ahead way till till now because I want to make sure we talk about Kaivano. Yeah, let's uh, do it. And trust me, we could do, this could be all Monster Magnet. Yeah, this I could mean, be all, this could be, you could tell uh, me about growing up in that New York hardcore scene and I would I would listen to every every word of it. Agnostic Front's the band I've listened to most of my life. So, you know, you, you got the right audience here, but I want to make sure we talk about Caivano. Uh, I, I, I would just interject one little thing that I do want to add about the, the hardcore scene and that I yeah. was fortunate to be around was uh, my time in Murphy's Law. Mm. I, I really want to talk Please. about yeah. because, you know, Jimmy and Todd were really, really special to me. And they were really, really great to me at a time when Blitzbeer fell apart. Mm-hmm. I was driving a cab, and uh, which I love doing, by the way. And um, things were pretty tough. I didn't know what my next move was going to be. And I get a call from Jimmy. Hey, you know, uh, I always say it like this. Uh, well, Todd calls me and says, hey, me and Jimmy want to talk to you. You know, come down to the park. 
And I, you know, I was like, well, either way, I go, the other two things are going to happen. You got a beating or a job. He wants to kick the shit out of me or he's going to ask me to join his band. It was like one or the other. And I was like, well, I hope he asked me to join the band because I'm going to go down with one punch from that guy. Right. But I love Jimmy. It just, that's just my joke with him. And that was the first time I ever went to Europe. And what's interesting about that was, um, so I commit, I'm rehearsing with Murphy's law. I'm getting ready to go that weekend. I get a call from Dave Windorf. What What's you, that album? What what album were they on at that point? Well, we, we were we were started to write Best of Times. Okay, that's great. Yeah, no, I I I'm a, I love like all Murphy's Law. Well, so. So, so, so we there was no album out, but that was like I stayed on after that to write Best of Times with Todd and Jimmy. Mm-hmm. But the really interesting thing about that was. Um, Dave had a bunch of my uh, on Dopes to Infinity. That's a lot of my guitars and amplifiers on that that record that I that they used in the studio. And because uh, uh, I was working on something, the Magic Shop before that. And he says, hey, man, you know, would you come down? Because would you come down and play bass on a couple of tracks, you know, because uh, we need some help with some stuff. And I was like, I don't like When do you need me? He goes on Monday and I go, well, I can't make it. I'm flying to Europe on Sunday and I, you know, uh, I'm going with Jimmy and the guys. And so it's just funny how that all mm. tied together. But my first trip to Europe, I always wanted to go to Europe and Blitzbeer and it never happened for So for Jimmy and Todd to give me that opportunity and have a great time with, with, with some friends and, you know, Todd and I had a great history together and, and, and Jimmy as well, but that was a very, very special trip. And I just always like to include that when people ask me about my history, because uh, uh, that was just really, really important to me. But yeah, onto my stuff now. Like uh, I did a record. Yeah. <laughs> well, first, let me go back a little bit. And I've heard I've heard so many people say so many good things about Jimmy and Todd on here within conversations that I've had with various people through um, like a broad spectrum of music too, not just hardcore people uh like like yourself here you know so if somebody yeah. say well, what's phil kaivano and i say he's from monster magazine they wouldn't initially correlate that with the you know new york hardcore scene but of course as you spoke about there's there's a connection there uh tucker rule who i think i think is his name played drums with with uh murphy's law for a little while he's in thursday and ls dunes and all these bands and has spoken about the same kind of kindness and the, 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 when the I was phrase he used to me was jimmy is Sweet but street. And I think <laughs> Jimmy's fucking Astoria, man. Jimmy's Queens. Jimmy's the fucking man. Jimmy is fucking awesome. I've it's had two a- interactions with him. One, he could not have been kinder. And one, I thought he was going to beat the shit out of me in an elevator. Well, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, look at Jimmy is is a, a, a very special guy. And um, I love him dearly. And I don't have kinder words to say about somebody and and um by getting close with jimmy i got close with todd and i and i worked on some stuff with todd which was kind of like pushed me to uh we did a project called capricorn together which was again it was another 45 which is a little play around thing it was our like motorhead tribute thing and like Mm -hmm. uh todd and i uh you know had a great great um friendship and working relationship as far as just we admired each other with our music and like you know todd went from everywhere from playing with murphy's to motorhead to glenn campbell to session stuff that he did that a lot of people don't know about and he was just (laughs) a 
real driven cat. He was a pleasure, like Todd's another one. Like, yeah, he was could be a handful sometimes, but when you were around the great side of it, it was fantastic. And uh, through Murphy's Law, through that connection with Murphy's Law, I became friendly with the Madball guys and like all these, all the things that went on around, you know, um, a band that I love, Crown of Thorns, you know, with, with Isaac and the dudes like uh, Hoya, you know, Freddie, you know, I remember when Freddie was a little kid, you know, him, them bringing him out at the, at the AF shows, you know what I mean? It's just real, mm -hmm. real great time real great time awesome i'm glad you mentioned some names that you did there hoya being one of them who i had on here pretty recently a couple weeks ago and uh, i heard him on his other thing talking about this record and being excited for what you did as kaivana which of course is your last name right am i saying that correctly yeah, yeah. yep that's it all right so let's get to this man how does yeah, how does kaivana the band become a thing well you know um born out of like uh I never really was interested in having a side project because I've always been very, very content and very, very happy being a guitar player at Monster Magnet because it's always given me freedom to work on other things and get involved with other projects like in the studio, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm always very, very driven to do that. And um, I started... You know, and then the Capricorn thing with Todd, I had some songs left over and Todd had passed. Um, and so this thing was in my mind, like, when the time's right, maybe I'll do a record. You know, I thought about it. I had the nucleus there of a couple of things. And uh, what kind of happened was a thing called uh, a pandemic and uh, and, uh, and the 2020 situation. And so I finally had the time. And uh, um, we, Magnet, had done Better Dystopia, and I had some free time after that. So I started weeding through uh, a couple of things I had written, and I wasn't really, nah, I was like, okay, it's okay. But like, I, I wasn't really interested in doing my own record. And then as time went on, I kept, I wrote for about another eight months, and I was like, I think. I think maybe there's something here. And I played Bob Pantella a couple of the demos because it's just Bob's fantastic. We have such a great working, you know, relationship as well as friendship that like, all right, Bob, what do you think, man? You know, should we do this? And he was like, yeah, it's good. You know, he's, he's like, it's good. I'm like, all right, I'll commit to doing it. And, and you know, thank God for um, another dear friend of mine, Raphael from Wendigo wendigo productions in new york like the real interesting about this 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 record is that there's no label involved mm -hmm. yeah i didn't uh, notice that yeah. wendigo is a production company that uh helped me out uh to be able to like uh hire bob and to take the time away from a a day gig and to uh concentrate on finishing the writing process and the recording process so it really bubbled out of like finally having the time to do it having a couple little things in the back of my mind to get to it you know so i just started the process and you know and as it was going on because of the you know the isolation of the pandemic that like uh i love working with other people but it kind of didn't you know, the, 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 you know, the shelter in place thing. And I'm alone here. I was like, okay, I can play guitar. I can play bass. I can't play drums. All I really need is a drummer. I can barely sing, but I'll try. And like, you know, so let's, I just, I'm going to do this. And I decided to uh, use my name 
you know, I, I went through that whole thing of like, uh, what am I now? What am I going to call it? You know, and, and I just decided, well, you know what? Jamie Jossett always calls me Kaivano. So does Chris Beatty. So does everybody in the business. They never call me by my first name. It's always Kaivano. And I was like, you know, through the industry, everyone's going to say Phil Kaivano for Monster Magnet. So why right. not use my name? Why not just yeah. call Kaivano? And I just I kept it very personal and all the songs in, in that time period. Again, I'm always influenced by the time that I'm in. Um, 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 you know, it was very personal to me. You know, the, the music and the lyrics and the whole bit were very personal to me. So I decided to just put my fucking self out there. That's me. Take it or leave it. I ain't trying to do something new. I ain't, I, you know, trying to reinvent the wheel. This is how I play guitar. This is how I perform. This is how I play bass. This is what I'm going to do. And well, it's, it sounds great. What, what if somebody asks you, "What does it sound like?" What do you tell them? Wow, what do I tell them? Sounds like me and my influence. <laughs> There's a little bit of everything in there, you know. Um, it's just how I play. I'm not the. I've never been the kind of guitar player or musician or bass player who can like listen to a song and play it that's the beauty of being in magnet for so long is that like my role and my gig in magnet or my role i don't even like calling a gig is my life in magnet is to just be me and add what i add to dave's songs right mm -hmm. of course dave gives me direction and stuff like that but i've been very fortunate in my career to just play how i play so as far as this record goes it's an extension of that it's more of me on a personal level with the way I play guitar and the way I play bass and the way the songs are really simple. You know, I wanted to keep things really, really simple. I didn't want to get into this long drawn out thing and overproduced stuff. Um, and it was self-produced as well. So I was able to take my knowledge from other people that I've learned over the years from Matt and Joe and all the great guys I've worked, even when, you know, Magnet did one song with Bob Ezrin at one point. I've been really, really fortunate in my life to be around some great people. I was able to take all that in and make that my own and do mm -hmm. it my way. Like, I didn't want to get caught up again. Like I told you, I've been a studio tech and I've been involved with crazy elaborate guitar setups and I did not want to do that. I wanted to be able to, at any given point during the day, pick up one guitar and plug in an amp and not worry about how it sounded. So I left everything set up like what you see in back of me and, and I just kind of went for it. So it's basically... That's it. What you're hearing is how I do things. And and I tried at one point I tried, but one of the songs like, oh, you know, let me try a little this, a little that. And I took a drive in my car and came back. I was like, this sounds like shit. And I was complaining to, to a friend of mine, you know, about, man, you know, it's just the way it sounds. And he goes, Phil, that's who you are. And I was like, all right, I can go. I can get with that because I wanted to like. <laughs> You know, as a guitar player, you know, you get caught up in things and stuff. And I want to do something different. I want to do something that, like, people are going to hear and be like, oh, wow, it's a bunch of fucking bullshit. You know, well, I, I'll, I'll say this for sure. Definitely guitar players. And it kind of speaks to some of the stuff you were talking about earlier that you are obviously very good at. His guitar players and musicians a lot often talk about tone and their, you know, their, their own personal sound. And like you said, sometimes it's just the person, like, it's just the person playing it. 
And but other times I'll have people tell tell me about the tone that they're going for on a record or this, that, the other thing. And I, I just don't fucking hear it. Like as a common listener, we just don't hear the intricacies that somebody with maybe your ear will like, and I'm not saying it doesn't matter then. I'm not, I'm not saying that, right. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It just means we're not as, as good at it. Well, I always say that when I'm working on records with people at the end of the day, do you think that person listening to it in their car or on their phone or, or, or on a piece of vinyl, they give a fuck what we use. They don't know. They don't care. They just like the song. Now we get it as a guitar players and bass players and music we get attached to stuff there's certain things that i like to use now there's someone else out there who does the same thing in a different way they use things they like you know what i mean they use things they have access to and that's what it's about like the one thing i did was very specific like i mentioned all those bands that i was influenced by and even some of the bigger bands i was influenced by i can guarantee you when the majority of those people went into the studio they had one amplifier, one guitar. Yeah, that's a good point. And so I really wanted to stick with minimal, be very minimal with the way I track this thing. Mm-hmm. And I was very keen on like, you know, I can, you know, I got a ton of guitars here. I got t- way too many pedals. I could sit here for months and document different sounds. But the thing that I'm good at that, like, I have a bank of like, what I used to wear when I used it, you know? So I went back to some things that I really loved the way that sounded. And I said, I'm going to live by this or I'm going to live by the sword and die by the sword. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And like, I, I uh, uh, as I got into the mixing with Bob, I was like, man, I really did that. I'm fucking, that's what, you know, that's what it sounds like. And he's like, dude, it sounds great. Don't worry about it, man. It sounds fucking cool. That's that's a great. I'm, I'm very gra- glad you brought that up, because often what I talk about people who have, quote unquote, a solo project is I ask them the question, how do you know when to stop? When do you stop tinkering with it? When do you stop fucking with it? And it sounds like you didn't have that problem at all. You just said it's like this and like and and that's also some of the some of the simplicity about these songs. And I don't mean that the songs are simple. I just mean that it's it's all pretty yeah. straightforward. Well, it is. is something that I really enjoy about it. And in a way, not necessarily in sound, it just reminds me a little bit of like Motorhead. There's three guys. We're just gonna play our right. instruments well, and that's it. And this is what well, you get. And that's and what I, I like about it. Well, that was one of the things that, you know. There's no secret. Like my my two favorite bands in my whole life are probably Motorhead and the Stooges, right? And one of the things that like, and being a fan, you know, um, I like consistency on records. Mm-hmm. I, I like I like ACDC, but that from the first chord to the last chord, there's a consistency in the sounds. Right. So I wanted to keep that consistency. So I did use the same guitar in the same amp for the majority of the whole record. Maybe I switch from a Les Paul to an SG for a couple of leads because it's easier to play lead on an SG than it is a Les Paul for me. Right. But I wanted this record to have its consistency like those days and like, you know, the late 70s and early 80s, like the first time I heard you know, the over, you know, bomber and overkill. Fast to Clark is one of my favorite guitar players of all time. I don't think he gets enough recognition. And um, when I listen to those Motorhead records, there's that familiar sound that goes through it. And I wanted to keep that. I think we got into a time with making records 
We changed a lot of stuff just because we could. Now there's a lot of fun in that. There's a lot of great things in that. But like, you know, you put a Stratocaster in my hand. I don't know what to fucking do with it. It sounds awful. But someone else can pick one up. It sounds fucking great. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how I don't know how that happens, especially with the kind of music I play and how I play guitar, you know. So I wanted that consistency. And I think I feel like I I stuck with that. I was going to stick to my guns and do that. And that was um, I can't talk enough about Bob, you know, working with Bob on that when we got into the mixing of how he was able to pull a lot of my messy stuff recording and make it cohesive, Mm -hmm. you know, and and he did a great job of that. And I trust Bob so much when we got into mixing, I would just leave him be. You get it to a point. And I'll come up to the studio and we'll just finish it out. And that was really, really great. It was not uh, a lot of times I've made a lot of records and sometimes the mixing and there's a part of the process that gets gets painful. You know, it gets it gets to be a lot. But um, one thing um, I will say this, I, I knew from working with so many different people that I had to start singing. I had to get in front of the microphone because I can play guitar and guitar and bass all day and all night and come up with different parts. But if I don't get the vocals on there, I'm just going to be jerking off, you know? So I had a lot of encouragement from my close friends, uh, from Dave, you know, from Windorf. He's like, Hey, before you, man, this does not sound like your first round. Like (laughs) this does not sound like the first time you tried this. this. You sound like a singer. Well, I think that's because of the experiences, the experiences I've had with other guys. Like I, you know, I've done backups mm-hmm. for Magnet in the studio. Sure. But I haven't done lead vocals um, since I was in Blitzbeer, honestly. And I do, you know, I, I back up live, you know, and, and I do that kind of stuff. But like I was familiar with the process from working on so many records, you know, and uh, a lot of encouragement from Zeus, you know, watching Zeus, you know, being there when he's recording Jamie and, and uh, a really big influence from Zeus, the way he recorded the records I was around, he was doing with Haprian and Agnostic Front and watching Roger, like Roger from the time that I saw him has always been a, just, I love the guy's voice. I don't care what he does, you know? And I'm like, how does that get captured? So I knew what to do and I, and I had the confidence to do it, you know? So that was a big part of it. So I knew when to stop and get the vocals on and then to finish out the guitar stuff, you know, cause I could do all the guitar stuff, like I said, but if it's getting in the way of the vocal, I'm playing leads in places where voice of uh, a voice is going to be, what's the point, right? I mean, that can work, you know, and a lot of my favorite music, you know, again, listening to the first Stooges record over and over again, um, I wanted to keep things very, very, very simple. And I, I think you you nailed it with that, because there's a, there's that fine line between, I don't want to say simple and stupid, but simple and boring. That's that's more right. simple and boring. And you don't you don't hit boring here. And seeing there was a uh, a, a solo record from you was like. And I don't know how to make this not sound insulting. Was like, well, this is probably not going to be that interesting. And then listen to it, and be like, this is fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> I, I get it, I get it. Dude. I don't give a shit. You know, like I'm the kind of guy. I'm at the point in my life, like I'm cool with me. Like I don't, I understand that. Like I thought about that too. I was like, 
no one's gonna give a fuck if i do a solo record who fucking cares like what's the <laughs> point you know what i mean but like again it came it was timing it was the time to do this thing and um it felt right to do it you know and like i even told people i hope you like it if you don't you know i mean some somebody said somewhere it's like oh you know phil's record's really good he's no dave windorf i was like what the fuck did i ever try to beat dave windorf yeah no, no i wouldn't I, that's like ridiculous it's like <laughs> it's just a part of me that like look at i'm at the age that i'm at now i'm in my 60s I've had a great time making music. It's just a little something I wanted to do. And people who And that's awesome as hell. That's fucking that's that's every reason to fucking do stuff. And, yeah. and like I some, hate that it takes a lot of people a lot of time to get to that point. You know? Like do, do, is there any regret that you didn't do this earlier? Absolutely not. No. I don't think it would be what it is if I did it earlier. No, that's a good point actually i have no regret i don't even think about stuff like that you know but what i do say is like you know it's funny it's really good you know talking to you there's been a, a bunch of guys i've done some interviews with it actually it's been a really good experience doing interviews because people get it you know and like i don't like critics i like fans you know and and, and i remember i was talking to some guy and he's like ah, it's going on and on. i was like you know what you get out there and do what we do <laughs> You right. get out, I don't care whether you like the band or not. You dedicate your whole fucking life to it. You bleed it. You fucking have you ever had to live on fucking cup of noodles and pizza for months on end just because you're a musician because you loved it? like I loved it. Yeah. You get out there and do it. You start a fucking band. You save every penny to have a Marshall amplifier. You and like you know like that's why to me with I try to encourage people Live your fucking dream, man. Do what you want to do. Embrace it. Love it as long as you can. As long as you love doing it, keep doing it. Because, you know, I go back to the days where things were really, really simple. A lot of the music I love going back to old blues, to jazz, to like when we first started talking, garage rock, all these things. A lot of these guys did what they had to do because it was in their blood and they had to do it. You know, yeah. I've never been in this, you know. I've always had a very um, modest, comfortable life that I really enjoy living. You know what I mean? I've, you know, I've never been, I, I've turned projects down because I don't want to be involved with it. I don't want my name on it. Now I've taken other projects that like, I probably shouldn't have that my name is on, but I wanted <laughs> to do it because it was a great learning experience. Sure. People get that. People don't get that. They think that we're all in it for the money. We all have a villa somewhere. You know what I mean? Like it's fucking ridiculous. But well, there's no there's no grace granted towards the artist, right? Like everybody in their daily life and your nine to five, you can fuck up and you can do bad at your job and you can get fired one day and you say, ah, oh, fuck, that was that was a big mistake. It was, but but when it's something that's public and put out there for other people to enjoy, there's no grace in that. It's like, well, you fucked up, you're out. Like, yeah, yeah. it's like a boxer. Like, you can't lose one. Now yeah, you're back yeah. to the bottom. You know, and again, with, with the making of this record, right? Like, I music for me has always been that place to go when shit's going on. You know, whether it's a, a relationship or a family situation or, you know, um, it's always been my safe space. 
And, you know, we all talk about, we hear these new things. Oh, create a safe space. Well, this in my mind and these headphones, that's always been my safe space. You know what I mean? So when I started to create this, it was my place to be when all that shit was going on in the world. Like right here where I live in New Jersey, there was a lot of shit going on. Being so close to New York, a lot, losing some friends and stuff. So I was able to do the thing that makes me feel good. And to me, music is always an outlet of fun. I'm not the kind of writer that wants to make you think about all these different things. I want you to put this record on in your fucking car and press the gas pedal and fucking go and put your windows down and just have a good time with it. Nothing more, nothing less. And that's the kind of music that I love. So that's really where I was at with it. Just like Dave Windor. Sometimes you just want to fucking rock too, right? Yeah, you know, it's like sometimes you just <laughs> want to like, you know, sometimes you just want to put the headphones on and turn all the racket off of the world. That's and right. Nothing for that initial, you know, it's really funny. Not funny, but funny that that first year, of you know from 2020 to 2021 there was just so much going on and to me it was just a lot of racket i didn't know what was going on i was very very confused you know and i have my beliefs and stuff like that and everyone's entitled to what they want to believe that's fucking for me it was like oh wow whatever i'm like whatever i can't watch this anymore i can't look at these people i don't even like the way they look you know what i mean and i don't want to listen to people fight about stuff that i don't whatever so as it started to get into 2021, when I really started doing this thing, I'm like, I'm just going to have fucking fun and turn it all off and just live in my own little bubble in my own little world. Like, I'm safe here, man. I can go grab a Les Paul or a Dan Electro or plug in a fuzz pedal and I'm talking to Barisi on the phone and we're fucking talking about fuzz and things and my friends in the UK. And I just had a blast with it. And at the end of it, I had a record.
So there you have it. That was my conversation with the great Phil Caivano. And the song you just heard was Now Is Forever. Of course, off of his full-length debut, Caivano, available now everywhere. You should pick it up. I should pick it up. I've been listening to it a lot lately, but I got to get myself a copy on vinyl. I want to thank Phil for his time, for his conversation, for his kindness. It was a good time and I really enjoyed our chat. I hope that came through in the podcast and I want to encourage you to go over to gettingitout.net. Check out what's going on there. Plenty of things. Today's Friday. See what new releases came out today. Maybe there's something that you need to get your hands on. I'm sure there is. You're not perfect. Neither am I. You know what would be kind of ridiculous? If I did this episode with a member of Monster Magnet and didn't play a track for Monster Magnet. Now I'm going to do something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense and I'm going to play you a song that Phil wasn't on. But it's a song that I really like. It's from one of my favorite Monster Magnet records. It's the first record. It's called Spine of God and the song is called Medicine. If you want to know more about this record, Decibel did a great Hall of Fame induction for this one. A great article on it. But uh, it's one of my favorites. Like I said, this is my favorite track off this record. It's called Medicine. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Place the stones in the circle of twelve. Give my night to brother of the bell. Swallows me whole Dig yourself Dig yourself